is the WTF Bach Podcast. The podcast about Johann Sebastian Bach, brought to you by his prodigal son, WTF Bach. Join WTF Bach as he guides your mind through a contrapuntal journey. Why don't you let WTF Bach guide you? And now, here's WTF Bach. Hey, it's WTF Bach, Evan Schinners. Now, bonus points for anyone who can name the speaker. But what is it from its own point of view? See, because here is this stalk, and all these leaves come out, ka-ching, 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 all the way stalk, then it whoops, it goes into this. And then it goes into flowers in the end, you see, and they go, kitty, 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 all around. <laughs> but I look at the thing, and it's like a symphony. It's just like Bach doing a fugue with all the different movements going. And that's what it's about. Anyone know who that is? That's Alan Watts. I maybe needn't tell some of you who Alan Watts was. Look him up. Suffice to say that I think for a period of four years, I used to put on his lectures and fall asleep to the sound of his voice. And don't confuse him with Alan Watt. It's Alan Watts with an S. Uh, he was a great lover of Bach, but what's he singing there? Well, he's singing the Fifth Brandenburg Concerto. That will be the subject of this episode and the following few episodes. What is a Brandenburg Concerto? What are the Brandenburg Concerti? That will be covered in the next episode, a history of them, why Bach wrote them, when. But let's dive straight into this Fifth Brandenburg Concerto. Concerto for three solo instruments, flute, violin, and harpsichord. You might even call that a triple concerto. But what is a concerto? Very briefly, a concerto is simply a bigger group of instruments playing against a smaller one. That's about it. Now, in the 19th and 20th centuries, the balance of the concerto became extremely one-sided, so that our classic idea of a concerto, a romantic concerto, are orchestras of 100 people playing against one soloist. The Rachmaninoff concertos, for example, Tchaikovsky, Schumann even. But back in the Baroque, the balance wasn't skewed quite like that. The concerto, for example, in the Baroque has a larger group of, say, four or five players playing against a smaller group of sometimes two, sometimes three. In this case, we have a larger group of just four players playing against the three soloists. I might use the term ritornello every now and then, and that means simply when everyone is playing together. We might even call this the refrain. That's what Alan Watts is singing. He's singing the ritornello from the Fifth Brandenburg Concerto, the first movement. And the form of a concerto usually starts with everybody singing the ritornello, and then the smaller group of musicians take over, and then everyone again singing a ritornello, slightly altered, and then the smaller group again, and so on and so on, until we go to a closing ritornello. The ritornellos are essentially the glue that hold the stories of our individual soloists together. If you've ever played in the orchestra, for example, of a Baroque concerto, you'll notice that there's a lot of waiting for the soloists to sort of go off on their own adventures before you again play the ritornellos, the refrain. And I think that's a good way to perhaps describe what a concerto is, going off on adventures, altering between the soloists and the ritornello is like describing a tale of our heroes on a great battle. We have something like, I don't know, the Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, we've got a small group of heroes, Frodo or Luke Skywalker, and then the story goes off and talks about what they're doing, but then occasionally we meet up with the whole rest of the army for these epic battles, and then we go off to individual love stories, so on and so forth. And that little ditty that Alan Watts is singing is one of the great earworms of all time. Once you hear it, it's pretty memorable. And why? What is it about this shape? 
Actually, when the strings play it, they double each of those notes. And it goes on. It's even shaped like a worm. Earworm, you know, I'm getting that term from German, Ohrwurm. It's when you, when you have something stuck in your head, it really buries like a worm inside your ear. And this shape, it's even, it's even shaped like a worm. I mean, it's a, it's a divine worm, perhaps, with a bass. parallel tenths. That's the entire opening ritornello. I'll play you a version of it now with an orchestra. there we hear the flute and the violin the harpsichord take over that is our first soloists episode now let's unpack this episode before we listen to the soloist episode in full we've got a lot of things going on first of all you're going to hear this triplet figure happening in all these instruments all the solo instruments at least it's this sort of thing it differs from the duplet that we hear at the beginning one two one two and we have now one two three one two three one two three one two three and this exchange of rhythmic ideas happening in Bach, the triplet versus the duplet. In the flute and in the violin, without regard to the harpsichord, we have an interesting dialogue. The flute says something, the violin responds, and they say, hey, why don't we do that another way? The flute will play this. And then the violin thinks, hey, that's a pretty good idea. Why don't I play it? And vice versa, when the violin comes in, he'll respond to the flute's initial. He'll respond with this. And then the flute. So the flute will be in the right speaker and the violin will be in the left speaker. Let's listen to this simple dialogue. And that's the violin with the triplet idea. A very simple construction. Flute says thing A, violin says thing B. Flute says thing B, violin says thing A. The flute, however, will continue after that simple exchange with the triplet idea. Let's hear that triplet idea in a new dialogue. There, where you have the cadence, that's where the rest of the orchestra enters with the second ritornello, now in a different key. But what about the harpsichord in that first episode? Well, now let's hear the same music between the flute and the violin with our third soloist, the harpsichordist. Added. Thank you. 
ritornello again. Meanwhile, it was interesting to see that in the harpsichord, we already had this triplet idea laid out first. Then, when the violin and the flute pick up their triplet dialogue that first the clavichord introduced, the harpsichord rather, the harpsichord will continue in strict duplets. So we have this sort of flowering on top. Here's the second ritornello, you already know. Very short, more soloists. And this is a bigger ritornello. Here we have another strange tale of our heroes, the violin, the flute, and the harpsichord. Notice that ritornello, however, was very much like the first one, but shorter and slightly different. Now between those two passages, I want to put the bigger orchestra in the left speaker and the soloists in the right speaker, just so you could hear how the orchestra between these two ritornelli are supporting each other. It's sort of basic stuff like little things like that, but it will be interesting to hear how Bach is supporting this tale of three soloists. is the end of the ritornello that I already played on the piano. Here in this next episode between the soloists, I really want to pick this one apart because it's extremely beautiful. We have this dialogue between the violin and the flute. The violin starts with these sighs. And the flute will imitate them. That's the flute there. And when the flute sings this beautiful sigh, the violin crosses over the flute here. And then the flute crosses over the violin, very up high. And then the violin trills. And then the violin over the flute. Now we're in B minor. B minor is the relative minor of D major where we began, and we will have our first minor key ritornello. That's right. So let's hear that in the MIDI. Let's hear the 
flute in the right speaker, the violin in the left speaker, and then we'll cover what the harpsichord does in the meanwhile. B minor ritornello there. The harpsichord, in the meantime, had the following sequence. And that brings us to the dominant of B minor. And then I want to show you what the orchestra does in the meanwhile. They have a sort of canon that imitates the opening ritornello passage. First, the canon occurs between the violas and the violin. And then we have the cellos and the basses. And then the violas and the violins again. And then the cellos and the basses. And then everyone in use. And that sets us up here, which again is the dominant B minor for our... B minor ritornello. Let's have a listen to that. First, we're going to hear all three soloists while the flute and the violin have their beautiful sighing dialogue. And then we'll listen to the rest of the orchestra sort of building up. Soloists. Now here's the orchestra building up in this canon. So we could sort of marvel at this individual construction of every part. Let's listen to humans play it. stop for long here. We're in the middle of the next episode. Listen to how it's very similar to the first episode that we had. This descending figure is now in minor. And also listen to how quickly Bach will go from this beautifully sad B minor to an E minor to an A major to get us back into D major where we started. And then listen to harpsichord. We are about to have the fastest rhythm yet to be discovered in this piece. is the original virtuosic music, those 30-second notes in the harpsichord. You have to hear this music on a computer. That's incredible. To me, music doesn't get much more joyous than that. Also, the flute and the harpsichord up, the flute and the violin, excuse me, up top going. 
while the harpsichord is just having the time of life. Just showing off every trick in the book. And those 30 second notes will come back in a major way as we approach the end of the piece. Let's keep listening. out of the solo passage work with triplets again and then the opening ritornello but it will be cut short and then we go on this interesting climb and this music between this ritornello and a passage that I'm going to spend a lot of time on climbs from here we'll listen first in the flute Violin begins to climb. And the harpsichord plays some sequences. And here, F sharp minor, and this part in this piece, one of the absolute most magnificent spots in possibly all of music. I wonder really how to show this passage to you. This is bar 71 in the first movement of the fifth Brandenburg concerto. And we collapse here in F sharp minor, the full orchestra, everyone comes back in. And now the material is almost devoid of anything that sounds remotely like theme. It's just a lot of harmonic wandering. First, let's start with the flute. The flute plays. And this will go on for some time. As the flute is playing this, the violin is playing sort of the opposite again, starting with the dots here. And then. Flute in the right speaker, violin in the left. time the rest of the orchestra is sitting here playing this sort of thing I can imagine like Eminem rapping over we've got the viola and the violin in the orchestra going playing these whereas the cello is walking this insanely beautiful line Down. 
now here at that point, when we've modulated from F sharp minor into somehow A major, Bach starts to strip the texture away. And I haven't even discussed the harpsichord yet, but let's go back to the violin and flute and see what they do at this point. After they finish this, they start this sort of raindrop thing. Very simple music actually, just falling down in thirds. What's the rest of the orchestra doing during this sort of raindrop serenade? Well, the cello and the bass break off from the violin and the viola, and the cello sort of has this beautiful line. Just getting lower and lower. And at the end of this line, the violin and the viola pipe in again. of A, where we are headed. But before I give you the final detail in this great journey from F-sharp minor to A major, what is the harpsichord doing this entire time? Well, allow me to play it for you. Notice that, of course, it's just a stream of steady 16th notes. But I always hear this. It's all written in one line, but you do hear this this secondary music coming out. The left hand of the harpsichord will just be doubling exactly what the cello plays, so remember that walking line? In this bar we get E natural versus E sharp. Here is where the flute and the violin start doing this droplet. And the music in the left hand will change, but the 16th notes in the right hand of the harpsichordist will remain. Lo 
actually the cello can't even play this note, so the cello has to play this line. And the left hand of the harpsichordist. And here we are again on E, where I left you, where I left you in the computer recording. And then here on this note, this is the final detail that I was talking about. The flute, the solo flute and the solo violin will start doing this really wild trill thing and he marks pianissimo in the score, the softest part possible. So, so exciting. Let's find, okay, let's listen to the harpsichord, adding the motor to the texture. Can you still hit the dialogue between the flute and the violin? You hear the cello walking. And now we start to disperse the droplets in the top.
question. I love just the, the thought of this music being premiered and the audience just being there and waiting to see what's going to happen in this passage. Because it's really like simple elements of music, like a kaleidoscope. You've just got the same shapes at the end of the kaleidoscope, but every time you turn it just a bit, there's something completely new and completely different. I absolutely love that about Bach's manipulation of such simple materials. Now, in that recording, which is my favorite recording of the Brandenburg Concerti, by the way, it's Il Giardino Armanico, Italian group. I will put the link to their recordings in the episode description. They really don't do these sort of trills at the end. They kind of, you could hear the violin just subtly vibrating. Let's see if there's another recording out there that does a few more of those trills. Okay, a few more trills in that recording. That's Tom Koopman. We will discuss his playing of the famous harpsichord cadenza from this very recording, which is a live recording from the year 2000, I believe, in the next episode or the next after the next episode. There's one final passage that I want to cover in this first episode about the fifth Brandenburg Concerto, and it is not the cadenza. It is the music getting up to the cadenza. We are going to devote an entire episode to the cadenza and the different interpretations of this famous cadenza. Here's one of our last ritornellos in the piece, and I'm sure you remember this rhythm. The harpsichord. It's like machine gun scales. And then this music of the flute and the violin. When those scales started, we had a lovely imitative game between the solo violin and the solo flute. Here's the violin, and then the flute echoes, and then the violin, and then the flute, and then the violin, and then the vi the flute, and then the violin, and then the flute, and then the violin. Okay, flute in the right speaker, violin in the left speaker. is such joyous music. We already talked about this. But then we have it again in six. Okay, same music with the scales. I love that. When the flute and violin sing in these thirds and the harpsichord sort of resets, down to the bottom. And he's getting ready for, it's like this motor starting up. And then we have this absolute climactic moment. Marked piano, by the way. And it's, it's fireworks. It's fireworks. You have in the left hand this very simple tick-tock and the right hand filling in all the gaps. And then listen to the flute 
and the violin at this moment, now finally in a perfect echo of each other. Okay, now add the harpsichord. One final ingredient missing in this imitative game, this perfect canon, are the violas and violins in the bigger orchestra. And they're simply doing this. Boom. Boom. I love it. First the viola, then the violin, and then the viola. And they're in two different parts of the instrument, you know, because they're one is a lower stringed instrument than the other, so they, they sound different in the timbre. Here's one on the left and one on the right. dance music. Okay, now let's add the flute and violin. Here we go. And add the harpsichord. And that's Bach, layer by layer. Now, we have one more thing. And that's these arpeggios. These big swirls. Here's the cadenza. Okay, meanwhile, while the harpsichord is swirling, the upper strings, that is the two violins, the one in the orchestra and the solo violin and the flute play this beautiful thing. While the viola is just sitting down here on A. And then we have this gorgeous layer by layering of Bach. Viola with this A. And then the orchestra violin, and then add the solo violin, and then add the flute, and then and just with this eighth note, we have the harpsichord cadenza. Let's listen to this in the orchestral version. The next episode will be an episode on the history of the Brandenburg Concerti, when, why, and I promise to at least play a full version of this first movement of the fifth concerto, maybe in MIDI, maybe on acoustic instruments. And then the episode after that, we will focus exclusively on the cadenza and see how the cadenza links up to the rest of this movement. Thank you very much for listening. Season two will keep coming at you. You are listening to WTF. You are listening to WTF. You are listening to W. You are listening to WTF. We appreciate you listening. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much for listening to the WTF Bach podcast. Send us a donation on Venmo, Cash App, or PayPal at WTF Bach. Find the links in the episode description. WTF. 
You can support Evan at patreon.com slash WTFbox.